Welcome to Pushback. I'm Aaron Maté. Hillary Clinton has attacked Tulsi Gabbard and Jill Stein with baseless smears. In an interview, Clinton said that the Russian government might be grooming Tulsi Gabbard to run as a third-party candidate. She also said that Jill Stein, a previous third-party candidate, is a Russian asset. I'm not making any predictions, but I think they've got their eye on somebody who's currently in the Democratic <laughs> primary and are grooming her to be the third-party candidate. Mm -hmm. She's a favorite of the Russians. They have a bunch of sites and bots and other ways of supporting her mm -hmm. so far. And that's assuming Jill Stein will give it up, which she might not, because she's also a Russian right. uh, asset. Well, joining me to respond to Hillary Clinton's attack is Jill Stein, former Green Party presidential candidate. Welcome, Jill, to Pushback. What is your response to uh, Clinton's attack on you? This is an outrageous, unhinged uh, conspiracy theory um, that helps cover up uh, Clinton's incredible you know, failure and the failure of the Democratic Party in the 2016 campaign, which they've been trying to find excuses for uh, ever since it happened. And, um, you know, there is no evidence for this whatsoever. Uh, none that I'm aware of uh, regarding Tulsi, certainly nothing that has uh, surfaced publicly, uh, nothing in my experience or coverage. There were, you know, there was a lie that was propagated in the original Steele report that I had been funded uh, to take a trip to Russia. That was false. Uh, I have the receipts for that and actually presented them to the Senate Intelligence Committee, which, um, you know, gave a thorough uh, investigation regarding these smears because they've been made against me for quite some time. I'd say ever since I got the, uh, uh, the Green Party nomination, there has been a concerted smear campaign. And in, in a way, it sort of parallels what's going on with Tulsi right now. There's an effort to really um, uh, to smear her to blame and shame, to denigrate, to criminalize her, uh, and to keep her from getting close to the nomination. But it's more than that. It's not only an effort to hold back progressive and um, peace-promoting uh, candidates. It's also a warning to Democrats that they better not consider Dem exit when the Democratic Party follows its well-worn script for holding out progressive candidates and then um, sabotaging them in the course of the campaign. We're all very familiar with what happened with Bernie Sanders in 2016 with, you know, from the, Demo from the Democratic Party's and the DNC's effort to uh, elevate the so-called Pied Piper candidates, the likes of Donald Trump, thinking that, oh, there's no way they could get nominated. This would help Hillary secure the, the nomination. The Hillary Victory Fund, which basically allowed the Hillary campaign to buy the DNC, uh, for which uh, Donna Brazile and even Elizabeth Warren uh, admitted the process had been rigged, um, basically shutting out the uh, progressive candidate and unfortunately helping to uh, ensure that a, uh, a centrist who just wouldn't fly in the court of public opinion was going to get the nomination. And, and you know, we see that process uh, taking place right now. Right. So, so accordingly, as, uh, you know, uh, Democratic uh, centrists like Hillary Clinton continue to try to push the party to the right to support uh, the military interventions that they're responsible for and the military budgets required to 
sustain those interventions, they've increasingly been attacking voices like yours and Tulsi Gabbard who stand against that warmongering and are calling it out. Um, and I, I want to focus more on the hypocrisy here because you talked about the Pied Piper strategy. That was the deliberate effort by Hillary Clinton's people to elevate Donald Trump's campaign and to uh, make him the Republican nominee because they felt as if he was the best candidate uh, for them to run against. One of many ways in which their own policies, their own failures, and policies, by the way, including warmongering because Trump portrayed himself as being anti-interventionist versus uh, Hillary Clinton, who's associated with intervention, all the ways in which these Clinton policies end up uh, helping Trump win, and then they go ahead and are still blaming people like you. But even on the point, on the narrow point of having ties to Russia, it's really worth focusing on because the knock against you is that you went to this RT uh, dinner, uh, this, this gala, and briefly Vladimir Putin sat at your table for, I don't know, a few minutes. And you've, you've explained this already publicly. Now, so compare that, you going to Russia, paying your own way there, with even Hillary Clinton's own ties to Russia. Well, there is a famous case which doesn't get very much attention, which is that Bill Clinton gave a speech uh, in Moscow uh, to a firm called uh, Renaissance Capital. Um, and uh, this was in 2010. Uh, and they paid him $500,000. And Renaissance Capital, this firm at that same time, was fighting uh, sanctions against Russia under the Magnitsky Act. And around that time that Bill Clinton got that half a million dollars for his speech, Hillary Clinton came out against the Magnitsky Act sanctions which she later on supported, and which now all, all, all Democrats are allied behind. So even on the narrow issue of having ties to Russia, compare you paying your own way and going to a dinner where Putin sits at your table for a few minutes versus Bill Clinton get, getting $500,000 from a Russian bank that is fighting U.S. sanctions. And the, even on that issue right there, the hypocrisy is staggering enough. I've been accused of being a Russian you know, asset, spy, everything, ever since the smear campaign began against me, which was essentially when I was nominated back in um, June, or I think it was early July of 2016. My visit to Russia had happened back in 2015. So this was like seven months after. And it was all public. My fundraising was public. The purpose of my my visit to promote um, a peace uh, offensive in the Middle East to promote a weapons embargo to the Middle East, to promote a ceasefire, to tell Russia that they were treading, in my opinion, in, in very dangerous water by undertaking the uh, bombing campaign in Syria at the time. Now, I was really trying to promote a peace agenda and went there to say it, not to kiss up to Putin, but to um, really challenge everyone uh, with the real lessons of U.S. foreign policy, which is, you know, has been an utter uh, uncompromised disaster. And, you know, there it was wrapping up in 2015. And I went there to to basically show that not all Americans, uh, you know, uh, are cheerleading the, the war establishment and the promotion of these endless wars that are, you know, uh, drastically undermining international security and bankrupting us at home and, and, you know, creating a refugee crisis and all the rest. So I went there to put that on the table to make it clear that the Democrats and Republicans do not have a, uh, a monopoly on the foreign policy choices and the beliefs of the American people. Uh, and as well to 
uh, to promote a global Green New Deal and a nuclear weapons ban. These are all things which are, you know, are are really staring us in the face. And these are the these are the critical issues which should be front and center. They should have been in 2016, and they should be right now. Tulsi Gabbard is one of the few uh, who's raising them. You know, people are talking about climate, mostly in very watered down terms, I must say. But, um, you know, the the issues of uh, nuclear weapons and endless, devastating, catastrophic war is just not on the agenda at all of the Democrats and Republicans, uh, with with the exception of Tulsi Gabbard. And Bernie gives it a little bit of lip service. But, but you know what, though, Jill? I think it's important to mention here, and I think this is the, one of the reasons why you're targeted, because you mentioned that back then you were advocating for a Green New Deal. Well, look, that is a mainstream position now, and that is being advocated. So, you know, and there are many things that actually the Green Party has stood for, like Medicare, like, you know, you were a big champion of Medicare for all, uh, that is now more in the mainstream, and that I think pr- probably helps explain the resentment that party centrists like Hillary Clinton feel towards you. Just a few more things about your visit. Yeah. And also student debt, you know, the, the yeah. notion of abolishing student debt, we were ridiculed. I was ridiculed yeah. for that. And now it's been adopted, at least in, in, in name, and also free public higher education. So, you know, even with just a trickle of exposure, we transformed. You know, we didn't just uh, change the debate. We won the debate on the issues, even with a trickle of exposure. But what's really worrisome now, in my view, is that this whole uh, resurgence of McCarthyism, which is really kind of the, you know, the unifying uh, phenomenon right now, warmongering censorship and political repression, they're all going on. And, you know, that it's, it's extremely dangerous and it's very important to push back, not only to push back against warmongering, but also to push back against uh, political repression. It's very important that the voices of political dissent be heard. And that includes, you know, the likes of, of Green Party candidates uh, at all levels of electoral competition, including in the presidential race. And they have been shut out you know, the so-called progressive media that gave us a word in edgewise in 2016 um, has completely uh, closed down the conversation. And I do want to tie this back at some point before we finish to ranked choice voting, because that actually, you know, that is the means of pushing back against political repression, because it's fear campaigning and smear campaigning related to stolen elections that enables the public to be duped into self-censorship and into silencing this conversation. So ranked choice voting makes it safe. The state of Maine has this. I'm very involved with a Senate race right now. Um, A a woman named Lisa Savage is running as a Green for uh, Susan Collins' seat. And it is transformed. It's totally different because no one is able to fearmonger and smearmonger her. So there's a real debate that's taking place about the whole spectrum of issues, including uh, militarism. As we wrap, Jill, just very quickly, you've already explained this publicly, but I just want to get it uh, for any viewer who's not familiar with what actually happened when you went to that dinner in Moscow. And there's that famous photo of Putin sitting at a table with you and Michael Flynn. As you've recounted, basically, Putin stopped by your table uh, for a few minutes, right? That's right, and then he gave a speech in Russian. Um, and you didn't speak to him at all? Uh, he, he made a very uh, quick speed run around the table. There were maybe 12 people at the table, and he did a quick sh- shake of everybody's hand. That was, that was it for my contact with Putin. There was no translator there. Um, if he speaks English, I wasn't aware of it. He certainly wasn't speaking English that night. The table was very much divided. 
Uh, he walked in with a group of people just before he gave the speech. I thought they were his bodyguards. You know, it turned out they were all his his key staffers. One of them sat next to me. I didn't I didn't exchange a word with him. I mostly talked to the German diplomat. That table was like the head table for the conference. So the so-called diplomats from other countries, uh, including the former um, uh, uh, vice president, foreign policy chair in Germany, uh, was seated, sitting, seated next to me. A Czech diplomat was across the table. You know, those were the people who spoke English. And Michael Flynn was there, who at the time was not associated with, uh, you know, with the uh, Trump campaign. Uh, but he had been a sort of peace advocate, uh, he had a set of confusing policies towards the Middle East, and he gave a talk also, which is why he was there. Uh, I spoke, you know, I gave him my elevator speech about why I was there to basically help launch a a, um, a peace offensive in the Middle East, and it was very clear we had nothing to say to each other, so yeah. that's where our conversation stopped. Yeah, Michael Flynn, Michael Flynn is, a, is a peace advocate in some respects in that he, you know, he, he didn't want to uh, arm uh, jihadist uh, insurgents inside Syria, but he also is a warmonger towards Iran. So you're right to point out his mixed record. Just finally, briefly, you, you've also been investigated, as you mentioned earlier, by the Senate Intelligence Committee. Uh, they were looking into, into possible collusion on your part with Russia. You've complied with that investigation fully. You've handed over documents, as I understand it. What is the status right now of that inquiry? I wish I knew. <laughs> you know, I was uh, I, I was interviewed by them as well, and I was told at the end of the interview, and this was, you know, six, nine, twelve months ago. I, I don't have the date offhand, but you know, I, I, that I would hear from them in a few weeks. And you know, and I never heard from them, and that they were going to have me approve uh, transcripts of, of my interview. I never heard a thing. You know, I, I had the feeling that they were kind of embarrassed when I was there because it was so patently obvious that. I'm doing this work, you know, for very um, deeply felt reasons. You know, I'm an activist. I'm a mother on fire. You know, I've been doing this work for uh, most of my adult life. Russia has nothing to do with my work. And I think that became really clear to them, both by inspecting, you know, the entire body of my communications with any Russian um, uh, business person, media person, uh, person in government. You know, I turned all that over. And it was obvious, you know, I, I was a person running for election on the basis of my deeply held beliefs. And that became really clear and that there was nothing nefarious, nothing paid, nothing you could make, you could make any hay about even if you were trying. So that's kind of where it got dropped. But, you know, they just put out a second report, which is mostly a restatement of their first. I don't know if you've seen it. This came out uh, maybe a week or two ago. It's the, you know, it was their second volume from the Senate Intelligence Committee, and it focuses on social media. And it, it, it's an effort, I think, to push back against your analysis because it, it tries to debunk some of your points. It, you know, in my view, it doesn't really hold water. Um, it's mostly... There's, not, there's nothing new here, just sort of more of the same. And I have to uh, add here that if you actually read other reports, like the uh, reports put out by the Oxford University um, uh, Global Inventory on uh, social media manipulation, you get a very different picture, totally different picture. I think the concern right now is that Hillary Clinton is going to try to um, give uh, what do we say, give some credibility to her conspiracy theory through smoke and mirrors about social media. But, um, you know, I think a real rigorous look at social media makes it clear that, you know, this is just, it's, it's kind of the Wild West. You know, we don't need to be shocked, shocked, shocked that there are um, 
you know, lots of nefarious uh, uh, campaigns going on by government, by uh, political parties uh, and campaigns, etc. It's a very dark world, but the Russians are pretty much bit players in this world to look at any uh, true indicators. Just the fact that their program in total is $12 million. Ours is $200 million. You know, we got started long before them. There's no way to blame this, um, you know, social media madness on the Russians. Uh, we, it, we were warned at the time that we began it that it was likely to propagate. So there's lots of uh, manipulation and um, deception. That's sort of the, you know, the, the rule of the game and invasions of privacy and all that. It's a complicated problem. I don't think we quite have a handle on it yet. But it's small potatoes at this point. You know, even that 200 million that the U.S. spends on social media manipulation, Trump and Clinton got somewhere around seven or eight billion dollars with the free primetime media. You know, that's where influencing uh, is really taking place. It's through, you know, the traditional channels and through money in politics, through the bias of corporate media, through the uh, exclusionary debates and so on. There are all kinds of ways that public opinion is being um, manipulated in our elections and they should all be fixed. And, you know, this nonsense of just hyper-focusing on Russia's part without ever looking at the broader context. Uh, this has to be dealt with. I think there are reasonable protections that can be put in place, but we also need an international treaty to, um, you know, to ensure non-intervention into other people's elections. You know, the, the, the social media aspect is, you know, as you talked about, I, I have uh, analyzed and it's, it's well, the most ridiculous, I think, of all these uh, claims um, about Russian interference. I mean, we don't know yet for sure who stole the Democratic Party emails. There are various theories. I don't rule out the fact that it might have been the Russian government, but I think the growing evidence, or at least the available evidence, suggests that it wasn't. And in terms of the social media thing, it's patently ridiculous. As you point out, the, the own studies that have been relied on for this stuff undermine the claims. There's the fact that there was $46,000 spent on Facebook ads before the election. Most of the ads had nothing to do uh, with the election. Most of the ads didn't even mention the candidates. You know, people, there's a lot of talk that Russian bots and trolls have boosted your candidacy. Well, there was one study that found that actually uh, Russian trolls retweeted uh, MSNBC's Joy Reid, who is a Russia gator, more times than they even retweeted you. So it's... Um, and, and and the notion even that it's possible for trolls and bots on Twitter and on Instagram and Facebook to have some kind of influence on the electorate, it, it just defies arithmetic and also just it's condescending towards voters and their actual um, concerns. So it's one of many laughable aspects of this whole thing. And and uh, you know, Jill, you mentioned that the that the Senate investigators who you spoke to were embarrassed to you were embarrassed when they were speaking to you and investigating you for for having ties to Russia, well, hopefully that private embarrassment will extend and turn into public embarrassment for everybody who's been pushing this nonsense. And I really thank you for your time. Uh, final comments as we wrap. Um, uh, two things. One, I'd say I think this is, you know, I'm, I'm kind of grateful that this has surfaced because it gives us a chance to actually debate this, you know. Um, uh, this has been going on for a long time, you know, for at least two years. I've been uh, kind of fighting this uh, this targeting and this McCarthyism, this really full-blown McCarthyism. And, and it's not just the effort to, you know, criminalize uh, uh, peace advocates and dissonance, 
but you know it's also political repression and and warmongering they go hand in hand this is mccarthyism it's here we really need to you know look at it and reject it and there are ways to do that and i you know i think ranked choice voting is really critical for dismantling the um you know the fearmongering and the smearmongering that enables them to uh, to silence the conversation so you know i think that's the there's a very big silver lining here um, so I'm really interested to see where this will go. If you pay close attention to what Hillary said when she uh, smeared Tulsi, she was talking about uh, trolls and bots. You know, this is that secret world that, um, you know, they, they use kind of their own private language in discussing it, the likes of Clint Watts, you know, these former military propagandists who now have a whole new career cashing in on their um, military propaganda skills, inflicting it on the American public. And you may be aware that in 2013, I think it was, our protections against the use of propaganda by our own government against us were repealed. So there's no doubt that there's a lot of this stuff going on in the language that Hillary uses about, you know, invoking you know, the evil spirits, bots and um, uh, uh, and and trolls that they're, you know, anybody can make this up, you know, and anybody can sort of try to prove, you know, their their particular chosen point. It's a very messy pseudoscience and it's being used right now to try to create this veneer of credibility to this political um, uh, targeting that's going on. So I wouldn't be surprised to see Clinton and the DNC try to use this to continue this smear campaigning. But, you know, I think we're ready for it, thanks to, you know, the likes of you and Max Blumenthal, you know, and Glenn Greenwald and others who've really done really great research to help clarify what's going on here. I think we're ready for the, a more public debate right now and to really push back as part of, you know, um, overthrowing, you know, this, um, or I should say breaking this stranglehold of of militarism uh, and empire and oligarchy right now, which is, um, you know, it's it's really compromising our ability to have a future. But I take great um, uh, comfort in the fact that people don't buy it, not one bit. Jill Stein, thanks very much. Thank you so much, Aaron.